0: there, and welcome back to another episode of A Sucker for Soccer. The Premier League season is winding down, but the podcast does not stop. What a crazy week it was in terms of implications for the title race, for the top four race, as well as the relegation battle all pivotal moments also some transfer news uh, something in the Champions League a change in format there I mean there is a lot to cover on this week's episode so without further ado let's get right down to business and you know some we won't go through every single game in great detail Um uh, you know, you have Brentford against Southampton to start things off. You know, pretty r- relevant game at this point between two mid-table teams. No offense to both sides, uh, but there are more important games. Upon uh, is Jansen, Yohan Visa, and Christopher Eyer getting on the score sheets. Easy times for Brentford. Good recovery after losing 3-0 to Manchester United. And they played on short rest, too, so that's a bit more impressive. But, yeah, easy day at the park for Brentford. Uh, then have Burnley against Aston Villa. And well, not great for Burnley. It's the first loss I believe uh, since Sean Deitler's sacked. So first loss under Michael Jackson. No, uh, no, he is not reincarnated. It's it's a different Michael Jackson. Pretty common name. But again, easy day at the office for Villa as well on the road. Ings, Bundia, and Watkins all scoring. Uh, Cornet getting one back, uh, you know, late on, but that uh, didn't matter that much in the end. But now let's get to a bigger story. And that Chelsea's ownership issues have finally been solved. That is right. It's now the Todd Boley era for Chelsea. No longer for Roman Abramovich. Of course, had to put the club up for sale in March uh, due to the whole Russia-Ukraine situation. So an American swoops in to buy the club for uh, 4.25 billion pounds. And it's interesting that we have another American owner because... Arsenal and Manchester United fans are both owned by uh, American owners. Of course, Stan Kroenke for Arsenal and the Glazers for Manchester United. And uh, it's safe to say the fans in England do not like them, to put it lightly. One could even say they despise them, maybe even hate, if you will. But uh, it'll be interesting for, for Chelsea fans overall. Uh, it's uh, I mean, I haven't really heard any vigorous uh, opposition to this. Now they needed a new owner. Uh, we'll see if he can do the same thing that Roman Abramovich did. I don't know how rich he is. If he is as uh, wealthy as Abramovich, I don't think he is. I, I again, I don't know. But uh, again, it's it'll be interesting to see if they they go in a different direction. I mean, I don't think much will change uh, with this with this new consortium and new ownership. Uh, Bowie, if you're wondering, is a co-owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So. Also now a second team that he owns. So, he was in attendance then for Chelsea's uh, weekend game against Wolves. And, uh, well, they put on a show for him all right. Uh, But, (laughs) entertaining game. Not in the direction, though, Chelsea wanted. Pretty boring first half, in fairness. Not much going on. But then it started to light up in the 56th minute. Uh Roman Saez brings down Lukaku in the box. Lukaku scores to make it 1-0. And then just two minutes later, Wolves get the ball away right around their own third. Pulisic feeds it into Lukaku. Great finish from just outside the area to make it 2-0. So, I don't know. Maybe Lukaku uh, was held back by Roman Abramovich's ownership. Who knows? Uh, He's finally... Seeming to get back on track, uh, you know, it's been a very rough season for him. I, he's massively under-exceeding. Now, I know, again, he's had injuries, COVID, stuff like that. But uh, he still hasn't lived up to the, the transfer fee, of course, and the expectations with that. Uh, a, a lot of people have him as top scorer, myself included. And, uh, yeah, that's that's not happening, unfortunately. But then Chelsea just collapsed. Final 11 minutes come around. Kovacic gives the ball away in the Wolves' half. They drive down the other end of the pitch. And then Trincao, of course, the Barcelona Loney just scores a beautiful curling shot from outside the box. Cuts in on his left foot. Curls it past Mendy uh, to make it 2-1. And then Wolves overloading the box in the 97th minute. They are just past the amount of uh, stoppage time given. Ball whipped into the area by Chiquinho, who set up the first goal as well to Trincao. I, and I've never heard of this guy as well, Chiquinho, 22 years old. He's actually a month older than me, almost two months older than me. So that's that's pretty crazy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've never never heard of this guy, but he contributes there with, uh, with two assists. I believe those are his first ever... No, he did get an assist earlier on this season, but two assists in this game, whips in from the far side, and it's Connor Cody to race in and head it home to rescue Wolves a point, leaving Todd Bowley, the new owner of Chelsea, completely stunned. Now, for Chelsea, they had to be a bit careful because they're only five points from dropping out of the top four. Now, at this point, with two games left... They should be fine, barring a, 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 another collapse and, and some miracle. But uh, that, that was just, the nerves were settling in a little bit after dropping points like that. Because you, know, you never know what Arsenal and Tottenham are going to do. But uh, it looks like they're going to stay in the top four. As we knew, but it's just a little bit of a scare. For Wolves, meanwhile, of course, that point keeps them in the in the European race. Then we go to uh, Crystal Palace against Watford. A 1-0 win for Palace. With Wilford Zaha, the lone strike of the game with a penalty against his old manager, of course, Roy Hodgson, who, of course, spoke highly of Wilford Zaha. Uh, and didn't help that Watford were sent. All uh, right, we're down to 10 men. Hassan Kamar was sent off for the 68th minute, pick up his second yellow card. I uh, picked up one, of course, in the first half. Should have known better. And that just about sums up Watford's season same as usual they go through so many managers that well, they went through three this season uh they i i it's funny i okay now i remember his name because i'm like they've sacked so many managers i can't remember but it, it was zisco who got them promoted then was sacked in like october november uh claudio ranieri comes in he only lasts a few months hodson comes in getting at a very tough task to keep them up didn't do it again. That's not his fault. He is 74 years old after all, so he kind of came out of semi-retirement. But maybe this will uh, fully retire him, uh, having to deal with just a just a chaotic club in Watford that just go through managers left and right. Again, unless there's new ownership, I mean, there's no end in sight for this. But again, they'll uh, again we'll see which players they keep. I, I really don't think Ismail Assar is going to stay again. He did the last time Watford went down. And he's been, of course, invaluable to Watford even in this season and uh, and the season they got promoted. But I, I think he's he's going to leave after this. I mean, it's the second time he's been relegated. He he is a Premier League quality player. By far, some of the bigger clubs could snatch him up. Uh, so I, I think... I think his time is over, Watford. And it was only a matter of time, really, uh, for, for him to to leave. But, yeah, to one this is one relegation too many for Ismail Assar and for some other players as well. We'll see uh, how that goes. So then we get to uh, just an absolute calamity that is Manchester United. Absolutely decimated, embarrassed, whatever you want to call it, They were blown out by Brighton on the road, 4-0. And with that loss, they cannot get into the Champions League. That's right. They are mathematically out of it. There is still a shot they finish in a conference league spot should West Ham take over them. That's how bad this season's gone. They can be going from finishing in second place last season to seventh. Now I think they're going to stay in six. I don't think West Ham are going to overtake them since uh, we have a tougher schedule, you know, stuff like that. We have Man City left and, and Brighton, so I, I think Manchester United will stay in that sixth position. But still, I mean, that's that's quite a fall off for them. Uh, crazy! I mean, it's crazy how that works. You sign Sancho, Varane, Ronaldo, and you think. Wow, I mean, we, they're going to be in the title race again. And again, the minimum expectation with those signings and what happened last season is top four. That's the minimum expectation every year for Manchester United. Now, of course, you should win some trophies here and there, which, you know, only Mourinho has done since. Uh, and, and Van Hals FA Cup, I, I should mention, since, uh, since Sir Alex left. But this this has been a disastrous season. It has. Now, it's not to the level of you know Chelsea finishing in 10th the year after they, they won the league, of course, 2015-16. But you could argue it's in a similar capacity. The only saving grace for them is really two things. One, they're going to have a new manager in Eric Ten Hag come in. And he's, of course, worked wonders at Ajax. Two, youth system's looking pretty good. They actually just won the uh, FA Youth Cup over Middlesbrough. So... Maybe in, you know, 2030 they'll win the Champions League. Or, you know, 2030 they'll win the Premier League. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Yeah, apparently this guy Alejandro Garnacho with a brace. So, apparently he's pretty good. So, that's uh, certainly one to watch out for uh, for Manchester United. And what's funny is the fans would rather watch Manchester United's under-18 team than the senior team. Because they actually play for the Badge. And and you can tell with the attendance, they smashed the record for the youth cup final. I think it was around sixty-seven thousand. I think that nearly doubled, or maybe doubled exactly, uh, the the previous record for an FA Youth Cup final. That's how desperate Manchester United fans are to watch uh, a team that actually plays for the badge and just shows some passion. Because there is zero, zero of that in the Brighton game. You could even say negative passion. And I don't get it, because I know they, even entering this game, they still had a slim shot at making the top four, but you still got to try. And it's not like you were facing Liverpool again, or or like Man City. It's Brighton. Now, I get Brighton plays pretty well against the the top competition and has had a really solid season, but to lose 4-0 to them is, is just embarrassing. It is. Moises Caicedo opens up the story, and this is a guy that Manchester United wanted to sign. But instead, he comes to Brighton and uh, haunts them. His first ever Premier League goal on a great strike from outside the area, driven low, 1-0. Mark Cucurera then makes it 2-0 a few minutes after the break. uh, Pascal Gross and Leandro Trossard scoring. Uh, within four minutes of each other. All those goals coming right before the hour mark. Trussard, by the way, two assists as well. Again, he has been Brighton's best player this season. He has been an absolute beast. And again, no fight for Manchester United from all 11 players and, and the two substitutes. And this is even with Harry... And you can't scapegoat Harry Maguire, by the way, because he was benched for this game. It was Varane and Lindelof at the back. And Real Madrid have pulled off a coup, by the way. Uh letting Rafael Varane go. And Sergio Ramos, by the way, you know, the two hearts of their uh, of their Champions League triumphs. Because clearly they're both washed and injured. And then Real Madrid now have David Alaba, who's still got it. Of course Adair Militao, who's brilliant. And now they're gonna get Antonio Rudiger. That's pretty much all but confirmed, uh, leaving on a free from Chelsea. And another great defender. So they have pulled off an absolute coup. Letting two washed defenders go. And that's what it is for Varane. And it's a shame because, again, this is a guy at high expectations. I mean, of the three big signings United make, only Ronaldo has lived up to them. Because he's Ronaldo, of course. I mean, he can't expect any less. But Varane has been disappointing and injured. Sancho has been really disappointing. Um, Has shown a bit of flashes of brilliance here and there. But besides that, it's been a very poor season. Um, again, maybe he needs some more time to adjust to the Premier League. Uh, he's still pretty young, of course, but yeah. Yeah, it is just embarrassing. Uh, overall, this this loss, this season, just just everything with Man United. But maybe one manager in Eric Ten Hag will change all that. Will he realistically? I mean, it won't be instant, but uh, as long as they see signs of progression next season, I think United fans will be somewhat happy. But now... A pivotal moment in the title race. Liverpool, Tottenham, big, big game indeed. And it somewhat lived up to the expectations. Maybe it wasn't as thrilling, but again, you'd expect that for such a, a massive affair. Implications, title race in top four. But the big takeaway is that Liverpool did not win. And that is a big win for Manchester City. Technically, Liverpool didn't drop points. They actually rescued a point, but it ends 1-1 at Anfield. Tottenham, you knew how they were going to set up. They sat deep. They had about 35 40% possession, and they wanted a counterattack. And listen, it got them a point, so you really can't complain. First half-wise, again, not much really going on. Okay, actually, there was a little bit. Uh, Virgil van Dyke was super unlucky uh, Header comes off the crossbar a few minutes before the break And then Pierre-Emil Højbjerg he strikes the woodwork as well Just the outside of the post, again, drove it low And uh, again, getting unlucky there But both sides would find the back of the net in the second half Starting with Tottenham on the counterattack as you expected Harry Kane receives a long ball forward Great control to bring it down and, you know, Liverpool, again, all out of sorts defensively. Uh, Ryan know just wide open on the left side. Again, Alexander-Arnold does not track back in time. And, yeah, I mean, they're all out of sorts, actually. I mean, you look at the defense right now. Alexander-Arnold is racing in from the right side instead of, you know, his right-back position trying to catch up. So, Robertson is drawn out. Alongside Kanate and Van Dyke. Again, all out of sorts here. And that just leaves Sessinio wide open to square it to Human Son for an easy tap in. Human Son continuing his reign of terror this season. He has just been absolutely phenomenal. 20 league goals for Human Son. And he's still a bit underrated, isn't he? He doesn't get all the attention of, you know, Sayah Mohamed Salah or uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Sonaldo, if you will. Okay, maybe I'm going too far. But anyways, uh, and and that was just more of a simple goal for him. Again, right place, perfect time for Son. 1-0 Tottenham. But Liverpool don't give up, of course, as is in their DNA. And in the 74th minute, it took a bit of fortune, I would say actually a lot of fortune, but Luis Diaz, who has been just such a phenomenal January signing, tries his luck from outside the box, about 20-25 yards out. It took a massive deflection off the boot of, I believe it was Hoiberg who stuck it out. Completely wrong-foots Lloris, finds the back of the net, and Anfield erupts Liverpool-level. But they couldn't find the winning goal. That's how it would end. Salah coming close late on, curling a shot wide. Uh, Hojbjerg missing a header as well. But really a, a fairly entertaining contest between Liverpool and Tottenham. And it's a fair result. I did predict a draw, and that's exactly what I got. Now, of course, this didn't stop Jurgen Klopp from complaining, as he usually does when things don't go his way or if Liverpool don't win. Uh, so it's been more rare this season, of course, since Liverpool have been winning a lot. But what is the excuse this time? Well, first off, this one's an excuse, but, I mean, you know, he kind of berated Tottenham, just kind of patronizing them. He's like, you know, oh, they're world class, but, yeah, they're still fifth. Yeah, really classy, first off. They're definitely not salty about the uh, about the loss. All right, No, about the draw, excuse me. But then he criticized kind of the the kind of football uh, Tottenham played. You know, sitting deep, 34% possession. You know, my... Again, my problem with that is I didn't see Klopp complaining about this when Liverpool won against Everton when they completely parked the bus and sat back. So, again, I, I don't get... Or against Villarreal when, again, they sat in a low block. So it's only a problem when you drop points. It's not a problem when you win, of course, but when you draw a game, then, of course, you can criticize, oh, well, boo-hoo, the other team played, uh, you know, it's so defensive, I don't like that kind of football. Well, you you don't have to like it, but the fact that you're complaining about it now, when you, you know, draw or lose, it's just ridiculous. It really is. I mean, he's just looking for excuses at some points. I think Conte even even said that in response to that. So, yeah he's, he's a world-class manager, don't get me wrong, but it's just the one issue with him is that he just moans all the time, has, like, a list of excuses when things don't go his way. And, again, it's a rarity for Liverpool this season, but when it happens, uh, Klopp's true character comes out. That's all I'm saying. So, then you go to Sunday's games, and... Again, there's some massive matchups as well here. First off, Arsenal beating Leeds uh, two to one, and that's a, again a big, big result on both ends of the table. Arsenal four points ahead of Spurs. Leeds, with that loss, again still in the relegation zone. It's not looking good for Jesse Marsh. I know he had a tough task, but uh, it's it really is not looking good. And of course, if he gets, he does get Leeds relegated. Of course, that's not going to help the the vision or the, per, you know, the opinion of English football on American, uh, whether that be players or coaches. Because, you know, Bob Bradley kind of ruined that with Swansea. Uh, that, did, that experiment did not last long. Uh, there's, of course, Chelsea fans even are still very critical of Pulisic over some other players just because he's American. Um, you know, you, you have to have a higher, you know, you're put to a higher expectation, apparently. You're under the microscope a lot more just because you're American. Uh, now, I'm not, now, I'm not calling them out for discrimination or anything, but um, it's kind of like that. Anyways, uh, Eddie Nketiah, this is on fire again. He scores two goals in the opening 10 minutes. I don't know what's gotten into him. I think he's scared that Arsenal are going to find a proper striker in the summer, which, again, they still should <laughs> with Noah Aubameyang and Lacazette likely leaving. Again, they could call in Gabriel Jesus, Heavy link there. But Aketi is saying, hold on a minute. I'm not just an EFL Cup guy. I could score in the Premier League too. So now he's got four goals in his last what, a few appearances. So now he's starting to heat up at just the right time. Or he's trying to get his transfer value up. Who knows? Anyways, I got two goals in the opening 10 minutes. Then I don't know what Luke Ayling was thinking. 27th minute comes around. Uh, he gets a straight red card near the corner, slides in with two feet, studs up on Gabriel Martinelli, doesn't get the ball, could have seriously injured Martinelli, and it's the easiest red card in the world. I, it's just a baffling decision from Luke Ayling to do that. You should never do, try and do that, sliding with two feet like that, because you're always going to run the risk of, of, of getting a yellow and a red, or a red card. I mean, it's completely reckless. And you cannot afford to do that when you're in a relegation battle. Got to know better. Now, ironically, Leeds actually got one back in the second half through Diego Llorente. But again, they they couldn't keep up with Arsenal. Again, the man advantage certainly helped. And Arsenal come away with all three points. And that leaves Leeds looking down the barrel of the championship, it looks like. So, yeah, not looking good for Leeds whatsoever. Uh, What it is looking good for is Everton, as they beat Leicester City. Two to one. So again, a big result for them, and it looks like Frank Lampard's doing a okay for now. Against only two points above Leeds. Now, I believe if they win their next match, they I, if they will be very good. I think they need to get I, four points from their next two games. Now, Everton still have. Uh, uh, Brentford, Crystal Palace, and Arsenal. So not easy games by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly not the most difficult. I mean, the Brentford game is winnable. You never know what Brentford's going to do. Palace will be tough, but I-, I could see them get a point. Arsenal, yeah, they could they could shock them, but I think Arsenal just a better side. Uh, so it's looking it's looking good for Frankie's boys. Uh, and in this game, Vitaly Mekalenko, First off, six minutes in, just a beautiful. Stunning, sensational, whatever you want to call it. A volley off of his left foot. Uh, Just a fantastic goal. Rifles it past Schmeichel. Unstoppable. Probably the goal of the week, I'd say. But Lester answered back with thoughts just five minutes later. But then Mason Holgate, right on the half-hour mark, heads it in from close range, makes it 2-1, and Everton again shut things down for the last hour. And they hold on for a precious, precious three points. And, again, they're playing that defensive style. They just let Leicester City have the possession. Everton sit back, hit him on the counter, and they get the job done. I mean, they only had 34% possession. Now, you're not seeing, I'm I'm just going to say, you're not seeing Brendan Rodgers complain about that like Jurgen Klopp does. But, again, that's 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 just an observation. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and, 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 again, for all intents and purposes, obviously Klopp is a better manager than Brendan Rodgers. I'm not being anti-Klopp here. But anyways, uh, we'll just quickly move on to West Ham against Norwich. Yeah, easy win for West Ham. 4-0 against the Norwich side that were already down. So, again, what else would you expect? Sidebend Rama netting a brace. Bowen with another two assists. Antonio scoring, and then Lanzini converting a penalty. So, again, easy pickings for West Ham. And, of course, keeps them alive for the Europa League race. Can still finish above Man United. You look at the table now. The thing is, I I still don't think it's going to happen. Just going back to this, they have one game in hand on Man United, three points behind. They have a far superior goal difference, so that won't be the issue if they if they finish level on points. But I, you know, with West Ham's last two games against uh, Man City and pa- Brighton, I don't think we're going to beat City because they are cruising to the le- to the league title right now. And we'll get to that in a moment. And the Brighton we historically struggle with. So that will be, at the most, a point. And many, and I, I think, have Crystal Palace left. So, you know, even if they do lose that game, I think they'll still finish in sixth. So it looks like West Ham are destined for the Conference League, which, again, it's been a great season. You can't complain about that. A great run in the semif- in the Europa League. Um uh, Right run the AFL Cup as well. FA Cup could have been a little better, but uh, I can't complain, especially with a paper-thin squad. But again, reinforcements are desperately needed in the summer, and hopefully Declan Rice stays, but I think I think that is going to happen, at least for the summer. But now we get to Man City against Newcastle. So the Oil Classico, as it has now been dubbed, since Newcastle's takeover. So Liverpool, after dropping points in the title race, Praying for Newcastle, please, at least draw with Manchester City. At the very least, do that. Not only did they lose, they got absolutely smoked. And I called this, by the way. I called it. Because I knew that Manchester City were going to be pissed. They had to take out their frustration after absolutely bottling a chance to go into the Champions League final against Real Madrid. So they channeled all that anger, all that frustration, and let it out, and absolutely smacked Newcastle United at the Etihad. Raheem Sterling nets a brace. Laporte, Rodri, Phil Foden on the score sheet. They, also, they scored from a couple set pieces as well. So everything going right for Man City. Open play, set pieces, doesn't matter. Again, the one thing for Newcastle, as I expected, they can beat the teams around them now with the the reinforced squad below them, but above them, it's, it's still a struggle. There's still a significant gap. But again, over time and with the takeover, the more they spend, you know, the more they'll likely catch up to the other clubs. But again, that might take, you know, five, ten years. We'll see. So yeah, Man City cruising. Nothing really new there. Going back to the Tottenham Race itself, Liverpool against Aston Villa. Now, Steven Gerrard, I thought, was going to roll over, honestly, and just let Liverpool have this. But until even before the match that uh, he wasn't going to roll over, He's, I think he was asked to be, you know, about the 7-2 win that Villa had last season over Liverpool. He said, I wouldn't mind that. So I'm like, oh, okay. So, so they are actually going to try. And then you go to the game itself, and Villa are, are already 1-0 up inside three minutes. You're like, oh, okay. They're not messing about. They're, they're taking this pretty seriously. They want to knock out Liverpool of the of the title race. And a loss here, even a draw, if we're being honest, I think would have would have been toast for Liverpool. But, they survived. They came back. Three minutes after Douglas Luiz scored. Bit of a mix-up in the area. It was eventually uh, poked in by Joel Matip. And then the 65th minute comes around and it's Sadio Mane delivers the winner as a Brilliant ball through from Luis Diaz. Again, has, has, honestly, I don't want to say carry Liverpool, but he has just reinvigorated them. Mane scores his 15th goal of the season the Prem. The only bad news was that Fabinho was taken off uh, at the half-hour mark due to an injury. So, again, we'll see how that comes into play, not only in this competition, but also for the FA Cup final this weekend, as well as, of course, the Champions League final. Is Fabinho going to be out uh for that game but uh again just to give a, an injury update on him it was a hamstring injury he's definitely going to be out for the fa cup final of course but again they, they can easily replace him for that game and the champions league final is the biggest one where they need fabinho and it looks like he will be back for that game uh that's at least what jurgen klopp has said so we'll see if we can we can trust his word with that um of course he's no doctor but i guess that's of course what you know, the Liverpool doctors are telling him and whatnot. So that's not the worst case scenario, but certainly not ideal for Liverpool. They they want him, of course, for that FA Cup final. They can still do uh, the quadruple, although it's not looking like it's going to happen. It's a re- I mean, there's a reason why the quadruple is so hard to do because you have to be elite at every stage in the competition. I believe Man City were were looking good to do that. Was a couple seasons ago. I mean, they nearly did. They got the domestic trouble, of course, in 2018-19, but, of course, couldn't get done the Champions League. What else is new for, for Man City? Uh, but, again, it's it's tough to for a reason. I mean, you have to play so many fixtures. Uh, injuries could usually ruin that. Ruin that. Uh, you know, eventually your players are going to start to get worn down. And that's uh, kind of happened here. But, more importantly, they get a big win to stay in the title race. But, of course, Man City see that, and they're like, nah, we'll, we'll be fine. We're, we're going to go back ahead again as they crush Wolves 5-1. I mean, they, they are just taking no prisoners. I, I'm worried for, for, as a West Ham fan we're going to get absolutely destroyed <laughs> for the next game, the way City are playing. Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne was unreal in this game. Four goals. Four. And he's not even a striker. He just is just on a new level. And people were comparing to Bruno Fernandes. Now, I get the comparisons a couple of seasons ago when Bruno was arguably outplaying De Bruyne. But overall, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is, is a top five midfielder ever in the Premier League. Maybe even top three. Some are saying the best ever. Again, that's, that's a bit debatable. But he's certainly top five. Just putting in... Great performances. Again, the one thing I think is holding him back is just the the injuries. It seems like he always picks up a a significant one. That puts him out for a month or so every season. But when he's fit, when he is fit, he does that. And just single-handedly destroys Wolverhampton Wanderers. I, I mean, it's just crazy. It is crazy stuff. So, Man City have now surpassed Liverpool in goal difference with all these big wins. I mean, it, it was a month ago, right? You know, right before the, the Liverpool-Man City game, where Liverpool had, like, I think, a plus-one or a plus-two goal for differential. City have a plus-seven over Liverpool right now. So, even if City loses one of their next two games, whether that be against West Ham or against Aston Villa, which, again, I doubt any of those happen, but even if they lose one of them, and, and Liverpool of course wins out, Liverpool would have to again destroy Southampton and Wolves. Which again is possible with the, you know their lethal front three, but again it's just another mountain to climb. So I think Liverpool are. I don't want to say completely out of the tie race because it's it ain't over till it's over, as Yogi Berra says. But I mean the way Man City are playing right now, is unstoppable. There doesn't seem to be a clear path for Liverpool to the title. But hey, you can still win the FA Cup and the Champions League. So you will win a trouble. I wouldn't call it the trouble of winning, of course, your domestic cup, your domestic league and the you know, the Champions League. But it's a trouble nevertheless, so you know, there's still that to be played. Now, a couple other things before we move on from Man City, just a couple of news items regarding them. I I should be fair, uh, and and criticize other managers for their uh for their press conferences. I've done that a lot with uh, Jurgen Klopp but Pep Guardiola did did the same thing for you know he kind of had Liverpool on the mind after the uh, the Newcastle game well not kind of he he did it, it seemed it was it was kind of rent free on him just, just a little bit so yeah post match interview with uh, be in sports here's what he says he said says, everyone in this country supports Liverpool the media and everyone our destiny is in our hands this is important and then he also said Liverpool have an incredible history in European competitions, not in the Premier League because they've won one title in 30 years. Now, technically he's not wrong for the second part. He is speaking facts, but I mean, yeah, I have some self-awareness that Manchester City have never won the Champions League, and it seems like they, they will never until that some curse is lifted off this club. So... I mean, again, he's factory right there, but again, he just comes off as, you know, pretty salty. You know, Liverpool's living rent-free. The first part is interesting. Now, there's a debate to be had there. Now, of course, obviously, not everyone in the country supports Liverpool. Now, I feel like it's more of a dig at the media that that seem to be pro-Liverpool or Man City. And again, there's a a debate to be made there. Um, It seems like more people hate Man City than Liverpool, even though Liverpool fans are pretty obnoxious and, and stuff like that. But again, it just, even if he is technically right about this type of stuff, he still comes off as very salty. And, you know, he should take a bit of flack for that as a, as a gift to Klopp. So, again, you know, it's all in fairness, all in balance. But the Premier League could be becoming more unbalanced as Manchester City make another massive signing. Erling Haaland, it is confirmed, is going to Manchester City. That is right, folks. He's coming to the Premier League, not with Manchester United, not with Leeds. And let's face it, both of those two situations are unrealistic. But of course he comes to Manchester City. There were rumblings about it over the past year, even in the summer transfer window. So poor Harry Kane, he wanted to leave Spurs. He misses out uh, of going to Man City and actually winning some trophies. But instead, it's the Norwegian phenom. Erling Haaland, the goal machine at uh, whether it was RB Salzburg, Borussia Dortmund, and for Norway, he's just, his conversion rate is just through the roof. I mean, I looked at a chart of, like, all the the Fords under 23 at the very least um, and see their conversion rates, and and Erling Haaland is just by far and away exceeding his expected goals tally. It's not because he's getting lucky with them. It's because he's just that damn good at scoring. You look at like Kylian Mbappe is right on the line. It's like here is non-penalty goals. as non-penalty ex- expected goals. And it's right on line. So he's expected where he's scoring at. But Erling Haaland just breaks the code. Because he is just built different. He, he just is. It's such a brilliant signing for Man City. And it's not like they paid 100 million pounds for him or whatever. They didn't have to break the bank. They only paid, I think, 63 million pounds or around there, which is, by the way, cheaper than Harry Maguire, cheaper than Paul Pogba, not to fire shots at Man United, but, I mean, it's it's pretty easy to do at this stage, but cheaper than those two. And it's, on paper, clearly going to be a much better signing. My only concern with this is not that the league is going to be ruined. You know, people are saying, first off, oh, City are buying the league again. Don't we say that with every single transfer that Manchester City make? Oh, they're buying the league. They're buying the league, folks. It's over. Stop following the Premier League. But yet, you know, they don't run away with the title every single season. Case in point this season. They cannot afford to slip up with a a surge at Liverpool side. So, you know, saying that they bought the league is a bit ridiculous. I think because they still have to win with these players. They didn't in 2019 20. So, again, I th- and, and saying they've ruined the Premier League, again, a bit ridiculous, folks. Calm down. It's not like, again, they run away with the league every single season. Though I, it does feel like that at some points. But again, it's not guaranteed, even with this signing, because of the injury situations for Erling Holland. Uh, I do worry about that. It's the same thing with Kevin De Bruyne. You know, if, if those two are fit for an entire season at the same time, I mean, we are going to reach otherworldly levels of success for Manchester City. Um, they they score like, you know, seven goals a game at, at this point. If those two are fit for the entire season, they would just smash every single record in the book. But again, Erling Haaland was injured this season. He's injured last season, so he ha- does have this track record. Again, and the other concern is, with that, again, a more physical league in the Premier League. I mean, that and the Bundesliga, while both very entertaining, are different styles. He has to get adjusted to that. And he sees his old teammate, Jaden Sancho, struggling in the Premier League, adapting to life there with Manchester United. So, again, it's not a guarantee. But, again, at the same time, Erling Holland is just a cheat code. So he could break the system, and he can easily adjust. And he's in the perfect system as well to do this. It is a bit different because... You know, Borussia Dortmund were playing more in the counter attack, uh, while Manchester City do not do that whatsoever. Of course, very possession based. Tiki Taka, as you'd expect from a Pep Guardiola side. So, in that sort of sense, it's a bit different. But again, with the players he's surrounded by, he can just slot up front and just poach all day. Not only that, of course, he's not just a poacher. Obviously, great, you know, a great finisher. But you know, he's he can be helpful in link up play as well dropping deeper. He can even drift out to the, the left side as well. Evolves some play, you know, make all these mazy runs uh, to create some space and get him behind the defense. And, again, he's in the perfect system to do that with such creative players like Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva. I mean, it is tantalizing for Manchester City. Now, this might be a guarantee for the Premier League, but, again, even with this signing, I, is it a guarantee for the Champions League? You can't say that with Man City, since, again, I think they're cursed. Now, it'll be interesting because at points this season in the Champions League, they struggled to finish off some of their chances. Believe it or not, they could have won the first leg against Real Madrid 6-3 to had they converted. They had, like, two easy chances in the first half. I think that the tie would have been put to bed right then and there, and they wouldn't have to worry about, or at least for the most part, wouldn't have to worry about an utter collapse in the second leg. But if Erling Holland was there for the first leg of the Champions League semifinal, would I I think I honestly think Man City would have wrapped up the tie right then and there and have gone on to the final. So maybe it solves some of their problems and I shouldn't say it's they have any problems with scoring because even without a striker they don't have any issues scoring. I mean, they're the highest-scoring team in the Premier League, as we've seen the past few games. they scored 94 goals, so they're probably going to reach 100 goals this season. And, of course, you factor the other competitions as well. It puts them at, like, 150. Okay, maybe not. Like, you know, 120, 130. It's just they, they haven't had a problem there. But now you have a more natural number nine you know, you haven't had a, a strike like that, you know, since Sergio Aguero departed this, se- you know, at the end of last season. And by the way, I, you know, people are joking when Pep said oh, we cannot replace him. It's like, oh, you replaced him, so you lied again. Obviously, he meant the the club statue. You know, he's a club legend. I think he got his own statue now, something like that. He obviously meant it like that. But could Erling Haaland be a Manchester City legend? I think so. I really do. Because he has the talent, the ability to do that. He's a goal-scoring machine. As long as he stays healthy, I think it is very possible. And it's going to be exciting times for Man City. Very tasty stuff to see next season. Other fans may hate it. Other fans are going to say they ruined the league. But I honestly think it's going to be more entertaining seeing Erling Holland just absolutely beast in the Premier League. I don't know. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Maybe I'm just saying that because my my team doesn't have any chance of winning the league, so who cares? But, eh, you know, to each their own. And then uh, going back to the Premier League, of course, some of the other matchups uh, that took place midweek. Uh, Chelsea beating Leeds 3-0. Again, Leeds are in a heap of trouble as it stands. They are level on points with Burnley. However, two things gone wrong. First off, Burnley have a game in hand. Second off, the goal difference is just shot. They have the worst goal differential again between Leeds, Everton, and Burnley by a long shot. Minus 38 for Leeds. Minus 17 for Burnley. Minus 19 for Everton. So if it stays like this throughout the rest of the season, they're gonna go down. Uh, again, you look at the last two games for them, they have Brighton and Brentford. So at the very least, it's it's more winnable competition compared to the last three games. You know, City, Arsenal, Chelsea, all Ls. So, still a chance. And, again, Burnley, we already looked at Everton's last two fixtures. Burnley have Tottenham, Aston Villa, Newcastle. So, that is by far not easy as well. So, again, I don't want to say Leeds are going down just yet. Got to hold our horses. I still think Burnley could easily go down as well. Now, for my prediction-wise, I had Norquois for Burnley going down. So, I do hope Burnley goes down. Also, I don't want to see an American manager get relegated because, again, that just ruins the reputation of the U.S. in, in Europe. So, again, I am hoping uh, that, that Leeds does survive. But, again, it's it's going to be very tough. I think they got to get back on the horse and just put those three last three games out of their mind. Uh, then the other games, uh, what was it? There was Leicester beating Norwich 3-0. You know, whatever. Everton against Watford is interesting, though. I think this is a missed opportunity for Everton. Because Everton were facing a Watford side that were already down. Again, they got relegated uh, in the previous game against Crystal Palace, so they didn't, really didn't have anything to play for. And you could kind of tell, but Everton couldn't take advantage. They were held to a nil-nil draw. I think if they would have won that game against Watford, you know, they'd be four points from safety. I think they would have ninety-nine percent. I would have been ninety-nine percent sure. Uh, they would have been safe from relegation. and It would have been between Burnley and Leeds at that point. But instead, Leeds are a bit more vulnerable heading into their last two games. or last three games, I should say. And again, no guarantee. But again, it was a missed opportunity. Certainly. But now, last but not least, North London derby time between Tottenham and Arsenal. Four points separate the two sides between fourth and fifth place, Champions League or Europa League. This was by far the biggest North London derby in the past, what, five years maybe? Maybe ten? But Tottenham needed to win. If Arsenal had won this game, they would have secured top four. Mathematically, into the Champions League. A draw would have still helped out Arsenal because they still would have maintained that four-point gap into the final two games and would have likely made top four. But instead, it is Tottenham Hotspur who reverse roles against Arsenal because now the Gunners appear to be the bottle jobs as they lose 3-0. And not only that, Tottenham has a better goal differential. So if they end level on points... Tottenham's going to have the advantage. So I cannot state how massive a win this was for Tottenham Hotspur to stay in the top four race. They, They literally had stayed alive. Any other result, I would have said they're done. Of course, the loss, mathematically done, draw, very good chance that they're done. But now they seem to have the momentum, and they could easily overtake Arsenal. Arsenal, you have Newcastle and Everton left. By no means guaranteed points. Guaranteed six points from that now you can tottenham meanwhile have burnley and norwich now i will say they they did lose to burnley earlier this this season but and and burnley of course still have a lot to fight for so that by no means is guaranteed but at the same time you still think tottenham are going to win that but then again it is tottenham after all so you can't expect anything from them or you can't predict anything from them and then the final day they're at Norwich again they should they should win that but it's looking like Tottenham have the upper hand on the Gunners. It really does. So, let's get to the match itself. How did Arsenal collapse against their North London rivals? Well, we start in the 22nd minute. A bit of controversy as heung Son was brought down in the box by Cedric Suarez. Pretty much collides with him. Now, you could argue it was a bit of a soft penalty, but... Cedric doesn't make an attempt at the ball i think so referee is right to give a penalty and again they would have had to have some concrete evidence to overturn that and see that there's a clear and obvious uh, error but instead it's a penalty harry Kane converts it to make it one nil 11 minutes later and rob holding it makes an absolutely boneheaded decision a man who is already on a yellow card stop the run of human son air try to play it to him through a long ball he elbows son in the face and it's just a baffling decision for rob holding to do. it's a clear second yellow card he again he clearly impedes the path of human son by fouling him before he could even get close to the long ball using his elbow to the face as well is completely reckless It is just such a stupid thing to do for Rob Holding. It's such a critical game for Arsenal. It just does not make any sense to do that. And that's been the one thing that has plagued Mikel Arteta's time at Arsenal more than anything else is discipline. We've seen it with Granit Xhaka. We've seen it now with Rob Holding. Every time it seems like Arsenal have these type of big games, stuff like this happens where players just lose their heads and, and just do stupid things like that. And that could cost Arsenal a top four spot, that sending off. It really could. I don't want to blame it on one player, but Arsenal could have easily gotten back into this game with, with eleven men. Because instead, what happens is that Kane scores off of a corner kick. They use the man advantage perfectly. It was a great delivery by Son. Bensiker gets ahead to it, heads it to the back post where Kane's there to to dive a to dive in with a header. And Ketia was caught sleeping there, he's trying to mark him, but yeah, I can't Completely blame him since he is a striker. After all, he doesn't have to defend much, but still pretty poor from Arsenal. And then just two minutes into the second half, Harry Kane was dispossessed, but it wasn't cleared out all the way out of the box. It falls to on, races in to score number 21 on the season. And again, he's keeping the golden boot race very, very interesting indeed. He's now, I think, one behind uh, Mohamed Salah. So he's, he's keeping up with him, fair play to him. He is one behind him, so he could easily overtake Salah there. But he won't care about that. All he cares about is that Tottenham get a crucial, crucial win against Arsenal. Against 10-man Arsenal, who again, at the worst time possible, just completely bottle it. Now it's not finished yet, of course, Arsenal are still 1.8 of Tottenham. So this is not the end of the world by any means necessary. But it has made the task for a top-four finish that much more difficult. They could have ended it right here at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with a win. And honestly, even a draw would have would have ended it in my eyes. But instead, Rob Holding decides to pick up t- Two yellow cards in the span of seven minutes, and the second one—I don't know what he's thinking—elbowing Human Son to the face. And I don't know why Mikel Arteta, by the way, was complaining post-match. He said, "Oh, you know, if I speak on what I actually think, I'm going to be suspended for six months." First off, buddy, you're not Jose Marino. You win one FA Cup. So what? You're—I you're, mean, you can't even use the type of those type of lines that Jose does. So back off. Second off, what is there to complain about? Maybe the penalty was you know, was a bit iffy, but again, a little harsh, but I think it's still the right decision. The sending off was completely justified. So what, what else do you want? Uh, what more do you want from that? Do you think it's okay for your players to be elbowing others in the face? If the reverse thing happened and there wasn't a sending off, you'd be just as furious. I don't, I don't know what is it with Premier League managers. Him, Gore, uh, Pep, Klopp... Even Jose in the past, yeah, things don't go their way. You know, the excuses start to happen. You know, stuff like that happens. I don't know. But, and again, I get it. You know, you're frustrated and and stuff like that. You know, post-match, you know, it's the first thing that comes to your mind, you know, saying stuff like that. But it's still a bit ridiculous and not immune to criticism. So to finish off this week's episode, we'll talk about the Champions League And a new format that came around. Now, there was rumblings about it after the whole Super League debacle. And this isn't as extreme as what was originally proposed. So, here's what's going to happen. 2024-25 campaign. Group stages are no longer the case. I guess that is extreme in itself. But people are acting like, you know, everything's changed about this competition. That, you know, UEFA ruined soccer. And again, they didn't. I think people are, are mad about this right now. But... Uh, Over time, they're going to get used to it, and they won't complain anymore. Now, I personally think, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but I do understand that UEFA, you have to understand that UEFA is a cash-grabbing, and it's a business, so, of course, they want to play more games, and that's exactly what they do here. So instead of 125 matches overall, there's going to be 189. There's going to be 36 teams instead of 32, And now there are no more group stage games. So it's going to be replaced with what is called the Swiss model, which we have talked about before. That was in the original uh, proposal for 2024-25. So here's what's going to happen. Each team in the league system is going to play eight games. So instead of the regular six, it is eight. It's going to be based on a seeded basis. So it's not going to be all the top teams playing against the other top teams, I don't think. That wouldn't make any sense because essentially that would be a Super League in itself. Uh, so I don't know how that's gonna work but there's just gonna be eight league games now I can see that being a bit unfair because you know teams could get easier uh, opponents than others but the good news I guess is that you know it's not like the top eight teams it's just gonna be them into the quarterfinals top eight teams do go into the round of six team. The teams ninth through 24th go into a two-legged knockout stage so it's kind of the preliminary to the round of 16 that we see in the uh, that we've actually seen now in the Europa League and the Europa Conference League this season um, where 9 through 24 play against each other. I would assume it's ninth places 24th, 10th faces 23rd and so on. So again those are 16 teams playing for the additional eight spots in the round of 16 and then obviously the bottom eight teams will be eliminated. So that'll be that'll be very interesting to see. I again, I you know, people may hate on it, but you know, this this could be really interesting. I think I can see it being uh, again. I can see it being unfair to teams that supposedly had easier, you know, league seedings or league opponents. But again, we see that in the group stage as well. You know, you always always complain about Man City getting the easy group or something like that. It's not really going to change in this in this scenario, is it? So again, it's not like they solved anything. But again, people will say, "Well, well, why change it if nothing is broken?" Again, they all oh, they, have, they have broke, they'll fix it, which is what I think. But again, I I'll, we'll give it a chance. And again, it's not it's not gonna happen until 2024, 25. So we still get two more seasons of the regular, good old fashioned Champions League, and then we get this whole Smiths model. But again, after the whole you know league stage thing it's really back to normal you go to a round of 16 your quarterfinal semifinal final you know normal stuff. It's just the group stage is replaced with uh with this league system and we'll see how that goes. what's also interesting is that there's going to be two extra places for the best two nations in Europe. so right now it'll be England and Netherlands so I believe that would mean, that the fifth best team in England would get into the Champions League. So we wouldn't be having the top four debate. It would be a top five debate. And the other team is is the Netherlands, so we could see another Dutch team in which would be pretty cool. So I again we'll worry about that when we get closer to 2024-25. Some fans are saying it's the end of soccer, you know, and, and comparing it to the the European Super League. Come on. This is not this is not the same as the European Super League whatsoever. That is a closed system of twelve teams, do the same thing every single year. Here in this in this Swiss model, you're still getting new teams into the Champions League, just like old times. It's just in a different format. And again, I don't know how the the league system, how the seeded system is going to work. So I, I might have to look into that more, and see if that's you know does that favor the big teams. But then again, the the group stage situation also favors the big teams as well with the whole pots. You know, pot one, two, three, and four. So it's kind of the same thing, but I don't know. I still think it'd be interesting to see. Uh, Let me know what you guys think. Uh, But you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not the Super League 2.0. Stop it. Get some help. All right, now to close off this episode, just want to breeze through uh, just the, the, the Premier League action going on this week. Again, we do have the FA Cup final between Chelsea and Liverpool. Again, I think Liverpool will win even without uh, Fabinho for this game. I know Chelsea want revenge after losing to them in the EFL Cup Final, also at Wembley, but I I don't know. I'm just going to give Liverpool the edge because they they are hungry for a quadruple, and they can at the very least get uh, another domestic trophy. But in terms of the Premier League, still some big matchups. It's pretty much all of the games uh, leading up to Sunday a championship Sunday that are going to be playing this week. So you have Tottenham against Burnley, Villa against Palace, Leeds-Brighton, Watford-Leicester, West Ham-Man City, Wolves-Norwich, Spurs-Burnley's at 7, the rest are at 9, and then Everton-Brentford at 11.30. No games on Saturday, of course, so those are the Sunday games. Saturday's obviously the FA Cup final, so they don't want to conflict anything there. Monday is Arsenal against New- uh, Newcastle against Arsenal at 3 o'clock. Tuesday, Southampton, Liverpool at 2.45. Thursday, Everton, Palace at 2.45. Villa, Burnley at 3. Chelsea, Leicester at 3. Now, what's interesting is that Liverpool, you know, the teams playing midweek, like Liverpool on Tuesday, Everton on Thursday, who are in some massive, and Burnley on Thursday have some massive implications, are going to be on short rest for Sunday, especially Everton and Burnley for Sunday's games. At the very least, they'll be evenly matched in terms of short rest when Everton play Arsenal and Burnley play Newcastle, but just something to keep in mind, see if that factors in at all. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you next time.